breaking news concerning the U.S. economy. Official figures show that once more the So I jumped in the car with my seven-year-old daughter, Novella, and uh, as we were about to head out, I kind of looked in the mirror and I asked the question. I, I said, uh, Novella, do I um, look friendly in this mask or scary? And then I turned my head. And she looked at me and she was like, scary, definitely scary, Dad. <laughs> Man, I hope you guys are hanging in there. It is strange times in a strange world right now. Uh, but we know that God's with us, and I'm excited to be here with you. One of the perks that we have right now is uh, we could join together for church, and we can be in our homes. Um, so what are some of you guys eating right now? I expect some of you guys got to be snacking. Any coffee drinkers out there, tea? What are you guys, what are you guys eating? Um, or what are you wearing? Uh, I think I'll probably be still in my PJs watching this by the time I'm watching this. This is very meta, very strange. Anyways, I'm glad to be here with you, and uh, we're jumping um, into our series again on how to find peace of mind. And this series is all about, well, how do we find that together? There's this verse that Jesus, uh, he actually spoke. He said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10. And uh, in this verse, the word Jesus uses for life is, uh, in the Greek, it's zoe. The way we're defining that for this series is a life of wholeness and peace, like joy and uh, overflowing uh, wholeness and peace, especially in these dimensions, not limited to these, but especially in mental, relational, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And so our series is really exploring this vision for life that Jesus gave and lived and died for so that we could have for eternity. And um, so we're going to jump into this. We're talking about grief and loss. And the Bible has a really almost, un, I think, an unknown and often underutilized practice called lamentation. And it really is about, it's a practice of how to process our pain. The symptoms of grief are often as follows. And sometimes the order can be different and, and everybody grieves uh, in kind of different ways and different um, time schedules. But in general, you'll see some of these symptoms when people are going through Grief, shock and disbelief, like, like this just happened, I can't believe this just happened. And sometimes it's, it's really hard for the reality to set in. Denial, nope, uh, I don't want to believe this, I don't want to focus on it, I'm just going to ignore that this thing happened. Bargaining is, uh, well, what if I did this and what if I did that to like somehow mitigate the problem? And, uh, and then it's often followed by grief, like if only I had done this, then, then this uh, wouldn't have happened. Um, and so a lot of guilt can, can come up. Um, and then anger. Uh, yep, this is, that's probably one of my go-tos. At, at some point, uh, the anger will come in and uh, at really weird times and, and just that it'll be kind of simmering on the, under the surface. Um, depression. Depression can, can come in and often uh, that can look like exhaustion anxiety, worry, or just feelings of numbness. Um, and then as you're going through this process, the hope is to get to a point of acceptance and hope. 
Um, but in a world and in a society that's, that has abandoned some of the practices of, of processing pain and grief, sometimes we get stuck and, and we're not able to actually process our grief in a healthy way. But we are going through a major loss as a society. Uh, we're going through a death of dreams right now, a death of what we of our expectations for the future. Whenever there's a loss like that, whenever there's a, a death of something that we were expecting, that we were dreaming, that we were wanting, there is a grieving process. And some of you might not be aware of it. Some of you might. But when we look out the world, some of the anger that's bubbling up, some of the depression that's bubbling up, some of the bargaining, like if I could, if I do this, can we just do this, you know, with um, business and government? Uh, some of this is actually, it's symptoms of grieving. And the Bible teaches us a practice. It's the practice of lamentation. Um, there's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. There's old Psalms in the book of Psalms that are called Psalms of Lamentation. But the Lamentations are, uh, I think they're underutilized and they're unknown because we live in a culture that wants to have an answer for everything, an explanation for everything. We want to know how it breaks down, how we can get past it. We're just ready to kind of get under, around, over something that emotionally we don't want to deal with. But the only way of actually getting through emotional loss and grief is going through it. And my hope is that today there be some tools and, 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 and an expression of, of grief that would actually help you not just go through grief, but grow through it. There's a great quote from uh, William Willimon. It says this, Lamentation is our deepest grief, our greatest despair brought out of the closet, pulled out into the open to be made known. Um, and often we want to sweep those emotions under the carpet. We want to leave them in the closet. We want to avoid them. But lamentation enables us to bring them out into the open. Um, I've heard it said that grief is like a, like a room that you have to walk through, a dark room you have to walk through so that you can open the windows to let the, the light flood in. We're going to jump into a passage from the book of Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a little bit about the background of Lamentations to give us context for this practice and why it's important. So Lamentations was written um, for a specific reason. The cause of grief in the Psalm of Lament is the Babylonian destruction of the center of Jewish faith and, and hope, which was the city of Jerusalem. Um, and that was a that was a crushing blow to uh, the the nation of Israel because that was that's the the national gem that is creating a political crisis, an economic crisis, and most importantly, a faith crisis because that was the center of worship where the temple was. Um, Psalms of lament were designed according to the Jewish alphabet. It's like a type of uh, of a poem, and they would make it in an acrostic with the alphabet. Um, to be read aloud publicly as poetry for worship gatherings, most likely for national days of mourning and fasting. They actually trained their people how to process pain and grief. We, I, when I was in school, we didn't have laments that we practice. Um, lament is meant for public and private processing of pain and loss. Uh, the book of Lamentations um, and some of the Psalms of Lamentations in the book of Psalms can be a teacher from the past, helping us grieve our loss in the present. 
This is where the Bible teaches us how and when to be angry with God and how to weep when tears are the only thing that can be our healing. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 through 25. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I mean, way, that's a way to start, you know, this teaching. Peace has been stripped away. There's been an action, a, a happening, a moment that's stripped things away, a loss. Peace is lost through loss. And in our times, in our day and age, we, we often hear that saying that we're all in this boat together. I think Rick Warren said it best when he said, well, we're not in the same boat together. We're in the same storm together. Some of us you know, are in a small boat. Some of us are in a yacht. Some of us have like just a piece of driftwood and some people are just drowning. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And Lamentations gives us permission to be truthful about that. Verse 18, I thought my future is gone as well as my hope from the Lord. So my hope is gone. I can't think of the future anymore. Um, this is a really important thing uh, in, in Jewish lamentations to recognize uh, what happens with hope when we suffer. So I want you to think, um, have, as you're going through the COVID-19 pandemic, what, what has been a hope that you've lost? I hope that I'd been able to hug my grandchildren. I hope that I'd been able to hug my parents, you know, in the next week. And it's been two months, three months. I had hoped to graduate with my friends and my family present. I had hoped to have my wedding. You know, maybe that's you. And I had hoped to be able to go personally to that funeral. I had hoped to be able to have success in my business this spring. I had hoped to be able to see my church family. I had hoped. Lamentations gives us language to talk about the hopes that we've, that we've seen lost. Verse 19, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. When we go through suffering and when we don't process grief and recognize that we are grieving, bitterness can set in. Bitterness creates resentment and resentment creates uh, an unhealthy soul. It ruins our relationships. It ruins the way we look at the world. It steals our joy. And so God doesn't want us to be bitter, but we have to recognize when, when we feel bitter. If you're feeling bitter, it might, be a, it might be a symptom that you haven't allowed yourself to grieve. You haven't wept. You haven't recognized the loss. You haven't moved past uh, denial, uh, anger, unforgiveness even. And we have to be able to let that go. Be honest with God. He can handle it. Be honest with God. He can handle it. So here's a great question. How do I get brighter, not bitter? How do I get brighter, not bitter? Verse 20, it it teaches us how to move forward. It says, I will never forget this awful time. I love how honest that is. I will never forget how horrible this has been, God. Like, this is the worst. It sucks. There's nothing worse than what I've just gone through. Or I'm feeling terrible right now. This is terrible. I will never forget this awful time, but but listen here. As I grieve over my loss, we have to recognize the loss, and we have to express it, not just keep it uh, keep it packed into our soul. We have to unpack that. 
My mom used to always say, good grief, look at your room. You know, you knew you were in trouble. Good grief, look at what that, what's going on in the house. Good grief, you're going to have to fix that. You know, we'd shattered a plate or something. Um, you know, good grief meant we were in trouble. But, but real grief, if you've gone through it, it I mean, it is soul-wrenching. It's weird how people can feel both despair and joy at the same time in grief. It's one of the, the most bizarre places in life. And I think that's why we avoid it so much. And as a culture, we don't like anything that makes us feel weird. We'd rather move past it or around it. But in the Bible, Abraham, you know, one of the fathers of faith, he wept and he grieved. Joseph, father of faith, wept and grieved. Uh, uh, Job from the Old Testament. There's a whole book about him. He wept and grieved. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wept and grieved. Paul wept and grieved. And Jesus wept and grieved. We have to learn to be able to grieve. Verse 21 says, yet I still dare to hope. I love those words. After talking about, man, this, is, this has been the worst time and I'm, I'm grieving my loss. Yet, I will still dare to hope. If you remember the beginning, verse 17 and 18, it, it talked about like the sense of hopelessness and I, I have no future and I've lost hope. But somehow when we go through suffering, it, it, if we let it, it can generate new vision for the future. It can generate a new hope. And let, let's keep reading here. It says, yet I dare to hope. And when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. When I remember this, when I look back and I remember God, the faithful love of God never ends. His mercies, his goodness never cease. They never stop. It's just like a river that just keeps coming, keeps going. Verse 23, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning, when I feel dry every morning, or when you're going through grief and you feel like you can't get up out of the bed, out of bed anymore, God's mercy, His goodness, His faithfulness are fresh every morning. We have to remember the past with gratitude, so that we can see the present with gratitude, and that we can be grateful for a wonderful future that God has for us. See, gratitude, I think, changes everything. When we start to remember who God is and we are grateful for his work in, in our past, it changes our perspective for our present. And here's one thing I really know. I learned this from my grandpa as he was grieving, is, is this grief cannot outlast gratitude. Grief cannot outlast gratitude. Gratitude will always win that race. Grief will, will hang with us, but it, it will not have the last word for followers of Jesus, those who've put their trust in God. And in all of our grief, all of our pain, God somehow finds ways of turning it to good and turning it so that we can be joyful in it. And how, how are you learning right now in your grief, in your loss? How are you learning to, to practice gratitude in that grief? Have you practiced gratitude in the grief? Have you looked back and seen God's hand? I mean, you don't even have to believe in God. Can you look back? Say, maybe where has God been at work in my life? And where is God at work right now, even in the pain? Now, in verse 24, it says, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. 
I will hope in him. It's a decision. Hope is a decision. Sometimes we don't realize that. We think it's just something that happens to us or we're waiting for it or it's an emotion that will come. But hope is a decision. I will hope in him. Hope says it's ugly right now, but I believe the future is beautiful. There's something in the lamentations, the lament of loss when we're going through grief that teaches us in the Bible that hope springs from suffering. It grows in that soil. And so we, hope says it's ugly right now. It acknowledges, hey, it's ugly, but the future is beautiful. And when, if we don't process our grief, we, we can't see a more beautiful future. We become blind to a beautiful future that God has and wants for us. Romans 5, verse 3 and 5 says this about hope and suffering. We also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, it's character of soul. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. We're hoping in a, a vision and a dream that God has given us that's been forged in, in the pressures and the, and the heat of um, the suffering that God's brought us through. Our life won't disappoint because God is with us. He is going to bring things to fruition. We can trust that. Some of us might not want to go through the suffering part, but here's where it ends. When we go through suffering, God turns it to good and we, we learn endurance and our character is shaped. And it's like we go through the pressure and the forging like a, like a diamond does in heat and pressure. And, and hope, when it's producing us through, through that process, we have a, a vision of the future that God will bring to fruition. We can trust him. He's working with us. We know it's going to be good. And it's going to be different and better than we even imagined. That's the wonderful thing about um, God. The people I know who have gotten brighter and not bitter have all gone through suffering, but they grieved in their suffering. They had gratitude in their suffering and grief, and God used that to shape hope in them. The final verse says this, the Lord is good to those who depend on him. He's so good. We can trust that he's good to those who search for him. If you're new to faith, or maybe you're just exploring faith in Jesus, this is for you. That God is good to all who are to all, and we know if we're searching for Him, we will find Him. So I want to encourage you to continue to search for Him. Sometimes it's in our greatest pain and our points of suffering that that the that God reveals Himself in new and unexpected ways. So don't give up searching and seeking if you're exploring faith in Jesus. Hey, guys, I want you to um, hear from a friend of mine named Kate Konzelman. Thanks for joining us. Um, let, me, uh, let me throw some questions your way. Yeah. When we go through crisis, how do we maintain or restore mental and emotional health? Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and I think for us right now, it's small steps every day. I know it feels like really hard to create routine, but um, your daily rhythms and your routine really matter. They're grounding for your mental health, getting dressed. You know, many of us are really enjoying sweats, and uh, which highly recommend on some days, but not all days. Um, and 
get outside for 10 minutes and go on a brisk walk. It really connects your brain back to your body and go to bed at a good time. Along with all this is give yourself grace on the days that your routine just, you know, falls apart because the reality is there's just not a rule book for this. There's not great guidelines and we're going to do the best that we can. How do you see um, mental and emotional health connected to spiritual health? Jesus was on the forefront of leading the conversation around mental health and, um, and he cares deeply about how we're doing holistically. And so your mental health is a huge piece. It's foundational to your health. What would you say have, have been uh, stigmas you've seen within the church and society and their impact? And why is it really important to be part of removing those stigmas? I think the stigma that I, is common, most common I see is that if you need counseling, like something's wrong with you or, oh, like that person went to counseling or they, they should go to counseling. That's what I hear more often. Like that person needs counseling, <laughs> which only perpetuates the stigma. And I always like to um, respond to people that say that like, oh, I go to counseling <laughs> and then people feel really uncomfortable instantly because it's like. Oh, ne never mind, you know, and I, I do go to counseling. I am a counselor and I go to counseling. I think it's an important part of, of my health and my life. And, um, I think that stigma, it, it keeps people from health where, wherever that is. Talk to me about grief a little bit. We are really experiencing the collective loss of the world as we knew it. You, you really can't, um, heal from it unless you feel it. And so it's important to identify it, feel it, and then we can start to heal. Comparative suffering is never helpful. Um, and I, I see this in myself and I see this in, in this time, which is basically when we rank our suffering um, in comparison to others. So people dying versus rescheduling your wedding, right? Or um, being tired and angry at your job versus those who don't have a job. And so we, we can kind of disqualify what we're going through by comparing it to these way more intense things. But the reality is there's always going to be a harder situation and there's always going to be an easier situation. And the biggest grief you're facing right now is the grief you are walking through. And by taking the time to acknowledge that, and accept that that's what you're facing actually frees you to be more available to others with what they're facing. This gal was talking about how she's seeing a lot of fear and rationing um, of, you know, we're just like trying to like protect all our resources. And she said, the only resource you should never ration is love. And I just think, I love that. Like don't ration love. And in, as we're experiencing grief collectively, you can almost guarantee that anyone you bump into in the grocery store from six feet away, um, or your neighbor that's out on the lawn and you're talking to them across the lawn, they're experiencing a form of that grief too. So, so share with each other in that, um, and witness each other's grief and give comfort to each other in that and, and don't ration love in this. The way things were are gone, and they may never be the same. The temptation is going to want to be to look back to try to pull, you know, something from the past into our present that is gone. It's never going to be the same. 
And, and God doesn't want us to just remain stuck in that place, looking back and wishing. And He wants us to be able to look forward. So here's my question for you. What aspects of life should we leave behind? And what are some aspects, the best and the good that God has given? What aspects should we bring into a more beautiful future? Guys, we want you to be spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy. Imagine what benefits would happen for your kids, your family, your friends, your neighbors, and our community. If, we are, if we're healthier and we can help lead other people through awareness and a journey through grief. If you're struggling with your emotions, you're struggling through a loss right now, we have a, a, a team of listeners, people who will spiritually listen. They're not going to solve your problems. They're, they'll listen. You can set up appointments uh, to actually be listened to, to process, and to receive prayer. And uh, we also have a PDF that can just help you process your emotions with a friend or on your own. And uh, it just has some great resources for you um, for mental health and spiritual health. And I want to encourage you to utilize that. You can just click on the link below. Uh, next week, we're going to be having a time called Ask the Counselors. And we're going to be using questions from you uh, to ask counselors about mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so would you send those in? You can send those simply to ask at whitewaterchurch.org. We'd love to get those so we could actually ask the counselors and professionals um, uh, on your behalf. So send those in. Um, guys, we're going to worship uh, to one last song, and it's actually a song that's written from a lament to help us process emotion and grief. Let's worship together. <laughs>